Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. You are a hardy bunch in Ballyhalbert. Baptisms in the harbour. In the Crescent, if the tank isn't warmed up enough, they complain. But before you get on, you think you're a step ahead of us. This year in the Crescent, we had the 150th anniversary of our congregation, and we were researching the history of the congregation. And one of the earliest accounts that we have of a baptism was in Ballyholm Bay in January in a snowstorm. So some people were dedicated. It's a pleasure to be back with you. My name is David Farrell. I worship in the Crescent Church in Belfast. I'm one of the elders there. And I, it's been quite a while since I've been back at Ballyhalbert because there's been a little thing called COVID. And it was about three or four years pre-COVID when I was last with you. I would like to speak on one single verse. You don't need to turn to it. But we will be looking at it in its much broader context. And it's a very, very well-known verse. It's John chapter 10 and verse number 11. You have learned it from the days of Sunday school. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And I just want to take that one verse. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Not everybody you know knows what it is to be a shepherd. I grew up, my parents were missionaries in Japan. I saw a sheep once in Japan. It was in the zoo. And everybody was overlooking at it, amazed. And it was lovely and washed and white. And even if you read some of the material from some of the American writers, they go to great expense and great time trying to explain to us what a shepherd is. And as we drive around our countryside, we see it. We know what it is. We can understand it. And so therefore, I don't really need to explain in any detail what it means to be a shepherd. My father, whenever the Second World War took place, was evacuated to Lisburn, to his grandfather's place. And his grand, my, grand, my great-grandfather was a shepherd. So shepherding is quite common in our community. But when the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd, he caused a major consternation. Awry. Why? A simple phrase like, I am a good shepherd. And what I want to do this evening with you is to look at this little verse in its broader context right throughout the whole of scripture. You think that's ambitious? Yes, it is. And we only have half an hour, 
so it's even more ambitious. But I want to look at what it means and what it meant for the Lord Jesus Christ whenever he said, I am the good shepherd. First of all, by saying that he is a shepherd, and later on in the passage, we'll read it later, he says that we are sheep. You and I are sheep. The imagery of sheep is used by him. And we know that sheep are the most confused, most easily disorientated. As a matter of fact, they're the sort of animals that just cause the shepherd problems. You've been driving along the country road to see a flock of sheep. You've seen the one that escapes, the rest that follow. They get lost. They don't know where they are. And apparently, and I have no reason to doubt it, I've been told if they're more than a couple of hundred yards from their home pasture, they don't know how to get back. What a picture for us. Because the Bible says, all we like sheep. All we like sheep. It's you and me. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each and every one to his own way. Lost. Don't know how to get back. Don't know how to return. And so the Lord Jesus Christ comes and says, I am the good shepherd. Let's put it into its immediate context, i.e. where it fits in the Gospel of John. It's one of the closest, I would say, almost a parable in the Gospel of John. John does not contain parables, but this is fairly close. And unfortunately, we have chapters. Fortunately, we do have chapters as well. But it's unfortunate here. Because we read chapter 9, and then we read chapter 10. And we think that there's a gap between chapter 9 and a new event in chapter 10. And yet if you take time later on to read through from, from chapter 9 right through to chapter 10, you will find that it is still the same incident, even right down to the point where they reference the fact that a man was born blind in chapter 10 and 21. Because chapter 9 and then into chapter 10 talks about this man who was born blind. I'm colorblind. Now, before you all think I can't see any colors, I can see colors my way, <laughs> the right way. <laughs> my grandson is also colorblind, and I have managed to convince him that he and I are right and the rest of you are wrong. But you know, I'm sure you have, in your youth and even at times, been given one of these little blocks and you stare at it, and then when you look out into the open air or into the onto a white wall, you see a letter, or you see a number, or you see a character. Maybe I have maybe you haven't seen that. But I'm sure if you're over the age of 60, you know what I'm talking about. I have never seen one of those. Because I'm colorblind. No matter how hard I stare at the block, 
all I can see when I look up is the wall. And maybe that's where you are tonight. In a way, not colorblind, but you've stared at this word of God time and time and time again, and you look away from it, and you see nothing. You say, I would love to see who Jesus Christ really is. I would love to understand it more. I would love to know what it's all about. But no matter how much I look at it, I don't see it. And in chapter 9, that is exactly what is happening. There's a man who was born blind. The Lord Jesus Christ meets him. And the men say, what, what's happened here? He, he was born blind. What sin did he commit? And the Lord Jesus Christ spits into the ground, makes clay, and not only just smears it onto his eyes, the word is that he actually forces it into his eyes and commands him to go and wash his eyes, and the man can see. But in chapter 9, we have the gradual development of a man seeing who Christ is. He's asked, who opened your eyes? In verse 11, he says, a man called Jesus opened my eyes. And then in verse 32, he's asked again, who opened your eyes? The blind man says, the man. But he must have been from God. Because if he wasn't from God, he couldn't have opened my eyes. And then they cast him out. And the Lord Jesus Christ meets him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of God? He says, I do. Who is he? The Lord Jesus Christ, he says, it is whom you are talking to. From the man, to a man sent from God, to a man who is the Son of God. And then we have the account of the good shepherd immediately after that. And you wonder how on earth the two of them could ever remotely be linked. Uh, the story of a blind man and a good shepherd. And that's what we need to tease out and consider this evening. Whenever my father uh, taught me about how to study the word of God, he said, always go to first mention. Always go to first mention. And it's something that I have stuck with all my life. And the first mention of a shepherd in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 45, or 48, and verse 15. And Jacob says, God has been my shepherd all of my life. God has been my shepherd. God is my shepherd. And the last verse referring to the shepherd in the Bible is found in the book of Revelation. And you'll find it in Revelation chapter 7, which has already been referenced to this evening. And in Revelation chapter 7, we read these words, For the Lamb at the center of their throne shall be their shepherd. So right at the start we have God 
will be their shepherd. Right at the end, the lamb is their shepherd. And in between, we have John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. So what I'd like to do this evening is to approach John chapter 10 from two opposite directions. I'd like to approach it from the first reference up to John 10. And then I'd like to approach it from the last reference back to John 10 and then read to you John 10 in the context of that background and understanding. And I hope and trust that will open your eyes that you might see who Jesus really is. God is my shepherd. The Bible clearly teaches that God is their shepherd, the shepherd of the people of Israel. Psalm 95, he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Ezekiel, as for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, I am your God. And that very well-known verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So from the very start, we have established within the Bible that God is their shepherd. And that's a very, very important point to underline for when the Lord Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Secondly, God then delegates shepherding. Right throughout the Old Testament, he, he delegates it to various people. To Jacob. We've just read. In chapter 28 of Genesis, Jacob is told that God will bless him. And Jacob says that the God of Abraham, whom my fathers and Isaac walked with, that God has been my shepherd all of my life. And Jacob understood and shepherded the people. During the period of the Exodus, God shepherded the entire nation of Israel. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You led forth your own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And during the period of the exile, whenever the Babylonians came and, and captured and took the people away into slavery, we read, he will, who scattered Israel will gather them and keep them as a shepherd gathers his flock. And so during the time of Jacob and the Exodus and the exile and other times, we have this image of the shepherd. I'm not sure if you've ever gone to the mouth of the lagoon. We found it one day, went up into the mountains and went for a walk and found it, this tiny little stream. 
But before the Alagan, which rises away up there in the hills, reaches the mouth down there in Belfast, it traverses and moves. And at times it's very, very conspicuous and very, very obvious. And other times the river's almost hidden. You can't see it. You have to go and look for it. And sometimes that's exactly the same thing that happens whenever you look at the biblical theme of the shepherd in, in the Old Testament. You see it quite clearly. Then for a period of time, disappears from view. Then you see it, and then it reappears again. And that is what is happening right throughout the Old Testament. God is a shepherd, and he has delegated to men on this earth, shepherding and looking after the flock of God. So, what does that mean? It means that God has appointed shepherds over his people. It means that God has cared for his people through shepherds. But these shepherds failed him. These shepherds turned away from him. And we read about the captivity that took place, about the shepherds who were placed there by God, who were actually lining their own pockets, and who were actually leading the people into idolatry, and who were committing horrendous sin. And so, whenever we come up to John's Gospel, we have that background. We have the background that God is their shepherd. He has appointed men to be shepherds, the priests, the prophets. Some of them successfully shepherded. You've got Moses, you've got David, you've got Jacob, you've got others. But when you come to the period of Babylon and the exile, you have an alternative condition. At that point, you find that the shepherds are no longer good. God says then, he will appoint one who will come and be the good shepherd. Here's what he says. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work is with before him. He will lead his, his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And I will appoint for them a single shepherd and he will feed them. My servant David will feed them. I, the Lord, will be their God. <clears throat> My servant David will be their prince, and I, the Lord, have spoken. So what we have, and the picture that I've been trying to paint, is that God is their shepherd. God has delegated the responsibility of shepherding to men. And those men, at some stage in the history of the land, have deviated from God's ordained plan 
and they have gone their own way. And that is what is happening in chapter 9. In chapter 9, the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the shepherds of the people, the people who, the ones who are, who are supposed to be leading the people, the ones who are actually supposed to be engaging with the people, are actually using the people, and they're trying to use this blind man as an opportunity to reach out and to criticize the Lord Jesus Christ. They humiliate the blind man. They excommunicate the blind man. They do everything they can to make his life difficult because he doesn't fit their pattern. And into that environment, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. Could you imagine if you were one of the Pharisees who considered yourself to be a, one of the shepherds? And the Lord Jesus Christ turns around and looks at what they have done to this blind man. They say, I am the good shepherd. But more than that, by taking that phrase, I am the good shepherd, he is declaring his deity. He is declaring he is God. And so whenever we read, I am the good shepherd, we are reading the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I am God. I can remember many years ago when I was at university being confronted by a Buddhist missionary. And this Buddhist missionary said to me, there is nowhere in the Bible where the Lord Jesus Christ declares himself to be God. It is man-made. It is false. I'm afraid he's wrong. He's doing it here. Because if God, the Lord, is my shepherd, if God is my shepherd, if God is the one who appoints shepherds, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd, the promised one, the one who is to come, the one who is to overrule, I am God. But let's go to the other side and move back. The lamb will be their shepherd. The other end. The lamb will be their shepherd. That's a strange expression, isn't it? A lamb being a shepherd? How could a lamb be a shepherd? It just doesn't, it doesn't fit. If you read on, it talks about the people coming out of the tribulation, that the lamb will provide them water and, and food and comfort. So what is the image there? Whenever we unlock the image of the lamb in the Bible, we read time and time and time again that the lamb came to be sacrificed. Starts right away back at the Passover, moves on through, and here we read about the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world in John's gospel. The lamb will be their shepherd. And the lamb is one who died for us, was sacrificed for us. 
And so the reality is that while the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I am the good shepherd, by the time we come to the other bookend, the book of Revelation, the lamb will be their shepherd. We realize that the one who is shepherding is the one who has made the ultimate sacrifice. The one who has died for us. The one who has died in our place. So what we're saying is the good shepherd is God and the good shepherd died for us. But as we move back from the lamb, we, we move in and we read about the chief shepherd and we read about a, a great shepherd. And both of those images are images which show us of a victory, of the Lord Jesus Christ coming back again of him releasing us from the power of death, of leading the flock out, of taking us away, of taking us home to be with himself. You see, here's the message when he says, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the one who came to die for you, but I am God. I am the one who sacrificially gave my life for you. I am the Lamb of God. I am the one who will come again in victory as a great shepherd and, and lead you out of death and into life. I am the one who is a chief shepherd and I will be coming back for you again, my people. So in that context, can we read the passage? of John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Those prophets, those priests, those Pharisees, those who had failed. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm, I'm known by my own. As a father knows me, even so I know the sheep, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The lamb will be their shepherd. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, of the people of Israel, he's talking, I must bring them and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and, and one shepherd. And therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. The great shepherd who will rise and return again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So what is happening in John chapter 10? In John chapter 10, when the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I am the good shepherd, he is turning upside down the establishment of the day. He's taking people whose eyes are darkened, who cannot see, who have been 
blinded by, by what is happening in front of them. He's saying, look at who I am. I am God. I am one who will die in, in your place. I am one who will rise again. And it's no wonder that when we get into verse 20, 33, the Jews said, for blasphemy, we will stone you. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So who is the shepherd in your life? Who is he in terms of your position? John's Gospel contains the word believe more than any other book in the Bible. And it finishes with these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose of why John is writing. And here he is directing your attention directly to this point, that the one who was on that center cross was none other than the good shepherd, the one who gave his life for the sheep. I challenge you at this point, as I challenge myself, have you believed? Do you believe? Do you believe that he is the Son of God, barely God? Do you believe that he came into this world to die for your sin? Do you believe that he died and that he rose again? Have you accepted him into your life and made it personal? Because that's what this passage is about. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I would encourage you to do so. You may have looked at the passages time and time again and yet not seen anything. But maybe tonight if you just take time in simplicity to look at why he came and what he did and what he is willing to do for you, then you may open up your heart and place your trust in him. I would commend him to you. I came to faith over 60 years ago as a boy. I sat down at the side of my bed and I said, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart and be my savior. And from that moment in my life to the present day, I have a shepherd, one I love so well. Do you? Nothing can separate me from his love. Let's close our time together in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father,
We thank you for the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the good shepherd. The one who came to give his life for the sheep. For each and every one of us, wayward and lost and willing to bring us home. Father, we ask that if eyes need to be opened, that if people need to see, that you would open their eyes this evening and help them to realize the significance of the one who was promised from long ago and the one who will be here to the end of time and beyond. Father, we commit our time to you now. We ask as we part that you part us to our, take us to our home in safety. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.